shit. How am I out of breath and just walking over to my chair? That's crazy. Welcome back to the Hindsight Podcast. I'm John, a.k.a. just a nigga trying to borrow a french fry. Riley says to a classmate, can a nigga borrow a french fry? And my first thought wasn't, oh my god, he said the word, uh, the n-word. It was, now how is a nigga gonna borrow a fry? Nigga, is you gonna give it back? Fucking love the boondocks, man. That was so hilarious. Um, I got into boondocks like super late. Uh, but I remember I had it from friends. My back was in fifth grade. I had a friend who like he watched it all the time. He loved it, and uh, would tell me about it. But like at that time, I don't even think we had fucking cable, so I couldn't really watch it. And like streaming wasn't like a thing when I was in fifth grade. So like it took me like what six seven years before I got into it. But man, that show was fucking hilarious. Highly recommend it. One of the one of the better cartoons out there. Anyways, I got a crazy story for you today. Not even a crazy, it's more like a funny story for you today. Well, not like for the episode, but okay, I have a funny story about what happened today. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so like, I really rarely, really rarely, but yeah, I rarely go on social media like at all. And that's like all social media platforms in general. Like I'm rarely on social media. And so like Snapchat, for instance, I probably go on Snapchat like once every two weeks like max and i'll just open all the stuff that people had sent me or whatever never really respond because i don't really care and like snapchat kind of makes no sense to me because it's like having a conversation over snapchat is like the exact same thing you can do over text but now you're just putting a picture behind it and half the time the picture has like nothing to do with what you're talking about so what's the point of doing that it's like none of that makes sense to me anyway but like today uh, i want to take a quick video of something uh at the office that I was at, kind of delivery in an office. They had these really cool elevators, but that's besides the point. But I want to take a quick video of it. So I opened up Snapchat, and then, uh, you know, like on Snap, if it's someone's birthday, they have a little cake emoji next to their name. And I saw it's Jay's birthday today. And like me and Jay are best friends now. Uh, all that happens in the algorithm to do a story. We're like best buddies. But like, I never actually knew his birthday <laughs> because. We became friends after his birthday, so it didn't like apply last year. And he's only told me his birthday one time. It was just in passing. It's so, like I didn't remember it. And usually I put people's birthday in my phone, but once again it was in passing. I didn't really remember it. So I see that it's his birthday, and I immediately call him. And I'm like, "Hey, happy birthday!" And he's just like, "Oh, it's so nice. You actually remember it. That's so nice of you." And I'm like, "Of course I remember. I'm your best friend." How could I forget your birthday? Man, I'm fucking grimy. Like, <laughs> oh, man. Man, I played it off like I freaking remember it. Like, I'm the I'm the freaking greatest friend in the world. Played it off real well. So it's just like the one time social media actually helped me. But anyways, it is Friday, February 5th. And February 5th is a pretty important day to me. Because this day, two years ago, 2019, was my last day of rehab. It was my last day in. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Not like my last day exactly, but more so like my time in rehab, I guess. Just a little bit. Because <laughs> like, I, you know, I talk about like the social part of rehab. But that's where all the crazy stories come uh, from the Tales from Rehab series. So those two parts and the other parts that are to come. But I don't really ever talk about the actual rehabilitation part of rehab. You know what I mean? And like... Rehab was actually a really important uh, time in my life, actually. Cause I was there for two months, yeah, a little over two months. Uh, and it's like in those two months, like those two months, things that I, I learned 
and not even necessarily from the classes, but from meeting people, seeing other people struggle and how like they, you know, handle recovery and also just like taking a break and being sober for like the first time in pretty much three years. And it allows you to like think clearly for once and you can like actually look at yourself and see what's going on and see if you have a problem. Because like the the catch about addiction and being an addict is like when you're in your addiction, when you're deep into your addiction and you're doing your DOC, you never actually see a problem with it. Right. Like you like you always find a way to uh, find a way to reason with yourself and to level with yourself. And it's like, OK, yes, I've been doing this for this long. And yes, I've been spending so much money on this and I'm you know starting to ignore my normal, my important uh, responsibilities to do drugs instead. But it's fine because at least I'm not homeless or whatever. You try to make, make, you know, like try to make it seem okay. And, you know, it's like going to rehab and taking that time out, taking that time away from the addiction made me actually realize how much of a problem that I had. Uh, Because like freshman year of college, 2016, uh, I was 180 pounds, right? I'm 6'3", pretty athletic build. I played soccer my entire life. And I was was doing pretty well muscularly. It's about 180 pounds. Uh, going into rehab, I weighed 108 pounds. <laughs> so I was 6'3 and 108 pounds. Like, I was so fucking skinny. And, like, I remember, like, looking at myself in the mirror as I was losing all this weight. I never saw a problem with it. And after being sober for a couple of days and looking at myself in the mirror, I realized how, like, fucked up I looked. Like, my face was pretty much sunken in. I was just skin and bones. But it's just, like, during my addiction time, you just you just ignore it. You think it's fine. You think it's normal. You don't you don't actually care about that stuff. And like I know yesterday, I kind of talked about how like when I got out of rehab, uh, I didn't really want to be sober at the time. But what I learned in rehab and about the experience that I had in rehab, like they stuck with me. So even though I didn't want to be sober at the time, I kept trying to run away from my problems. Eventually, they caught up to me, and the lessons that I had learned in rehab, like I actually let them, I don't know, like permeate my brain. And I actually took them seriously and actually tried to better myself and better who I am. And that happened like later in 2020, kind of like in the March time, we'll get to like good jazz. But like rehab was, that was the first time I cried uh, in seven years, I think at that point. Like I had pushed and pushed down all my emotions for so long and just kept running away from all like the shit that I had to deal with before, just ignoring it and just kept pushing past it. Uh, but yeah, no, I fucking cried. And it wasn't even like a little couple of teardrops. No, I fucking ugly cried. And it wasn't even like it was in private either. I ugly cried. And I was sitting in the front of a room looking at like 15 different people fucking ugly crying. And, like it's not coming. It was, it, <laughs> it was a mess, but it, it was so like relieving like, it felt so good to cry, right? Because, like, cause I just hadn't let all that emotion out in so long. It was actually that moment that recontextualized everything for me. So, essentially, what happened was uh, I'd, been, I'd been in rehab for a little over two weeks at that point. And uh, I had kind of like tried to fade into the back, you know? So, like, whenever I was in caseload. So, caseload is, like, group therapy. So, you have your therapist and you're assigned a therapist. And there's only a certain amount of therapists. So like each therapist is assigned multiple different patients, and we all have our one-on-ones with them. But then every single day—is it every day? I don't remember. Maybe I think it was every day. I think Monday through Thursday. 
uh, we had caseload. Essentially, it's like one that therapist and all her patients in a room doing some shit. Uh, like I never spoke up in caseload. Never, I didn't want to draw attention to myself at all. And also, I had just gotten diagnosed with schizophrenia because I had not been diagnosed at that point. I got diagnosed in rehab by a psychiatrist in rehab. So like, that was a lot, that's a lot to take in. I guess knowing that like. All the stuff that you'd been struggling with before wasn't normal. I thought all that stuff was normal for people. And then, you know, you find out it's not normal. Like, your life has been kind of weird this entire time. So, like, I just did not want... I was I was not feeling rehab at this point. Uh, and this particular morning, I had my one-on-one with my therapist, Krista. And she talked to me about uh, not speaking up enough in, in the classes and in caseload. And she, and she said, like, you know... That's the only way you're going to get better is if you share more and let other people hear what you're going through and like, you know, help carry that burden for you or try to offload that burden off of you. And I said, sure, I'll try it. I'll try to talk more. And so that day uh, she pulls up a couch, the front of the room in caseload. And she's like, what we're going to do, we're going to have someone sitting in the couch and they have to pick the person that they think they hurt the most with their addiction and they have to pretend to be that person and all the other patients in the room will ask that person uh, questions and they have to answer the questions as if they are that person. Make sense? And so because I just had that meeting with my therapist, I was like, fuck it. I'll go up there, raise my hand. My first time going up to the front. And so I go up, I sit in the couch and I said, I'm going to be my mom because I fucking love my mom. My mom fucking loves me. You know, <laughs> I guess I was like, I'm going to be my mom. Because, yeah, I feel like I, I had hurt her the most with my addiction. And so, like, people were asking me questions. Like, there, there were a couple, they're like soft hitters, really. You know, just like, how do you feel about your son? You know, like, how do you how do you feel finding out about your son's, like, addiction? And he, but he, he's been hiding a bunch of stuff. Yeah, how do you feel about your son being in rehab? All that shit. And I was doing pretty, I was doing pretty well. Cause, like, I know my mom. Like, me and my mom are really close. So, like, it was pretty easy for me to answer those questions as my mom. Uh, man, this one fucker, man. This one dude named Nick. And, like, I, I hate him for it, but I had to appreciate what he did because he knew what I needed. And so he raised his hand. You know, I picked him or whatever. And he said, how did you feel when you saw your son overdosing and dying in front of you? And I paused for a second looked at the ground, looked back up at Nick, and just started fucking crying. Like, I broke down. Because, like, it was the first time that I, I wasn't just thinking about myself, you know? Like, I like I remembered, like, I thought, I went back to that night, and, like, looking up in my mom's face, and, like, seeing, like, the fear, like, in her face, and, like, the worry and the stress, and she was crying, and my dad was trying to call the ambulance. And it's, like... It was the, like I put myself in her shoes for like the first time. And it shit just fucking broke me. Like, because I don't even have, I don't have a fucking kid. I mean, I have a dog. He's like my son. If anything happened to him, like I, it would hurt. But like, you, like I can't imagine like looking at your, your son that you've raised for 20 years at that point. Like you, that you've cared and loved for and tried to do everything for. And like you're just seeing him die. Because of his own decisions. Like, I, I don't know, shit just fucking broke me, man. I could not answer that question. I started crying so hard. 
like literally curled up into a ball on the couch and started fucking just pouring out tears. It was it was so hard. And like after I like mustered out a response, after like six seven minutes of just silence of me crying, uh, my therapist followed up that question with like, "What do you think John would want to hear from you right now?" And I start fucking crying again. I'm like, I think he would want to know that I love him and that I know he's gonna get better and I know that he was trying. Bro, I was, I was a fucking mess, man. <laughs> oh, man. And it's like, and that moment stuck with me forever. Like, since then, it stuck with me. And, like, from that moment, like, that's why I became a lot more involved. Like in rehab and like actually paying attention in classes and actually like being more social and meeting more people and like actually trying to learn shit to get better because it was just like whenever I like was slacking off or I would you know get down on myself or get depressed or even go through a fucking episode because that would always fucking happen because they they didn't have like schizo medicine in rehab they gave me medicine uh, to like deal with like nightmares and a medicine to deal with the uh, like hallucinations and panic attacks or whatever to like keep me calm, keep my brain calm and shit like that. But like, I was I still had like pretty like serious episodes. This is my first time being sober and not having drugs to deal with it. So like that was a big mess. But whenever I felt like giving up on rehab essentially when shit was getting bad, like I remember that moment and I remember how my mom felt or how I, at least I, how I think my mom felt in that moment. I'm like I cannot do that to her again. Like I'd be the shittiest fucking son in the world. To do that to her again, not even, not even, not only my mom, my dad too, you know, like, just like my family in general, like my sister, when she found out about it, like, she was so fucking heartbroken, and uh, like, she, like, I would call her, I would talk to her, whenever I had like phone time, I would call home and try to talk to her, or whatever, and like, you know, hearing her, how like concerned she would be about me, and she would make sure I'm eating while I was in there, and make sure I'm keeping track of my weight to put my, to put more weight on to get healthy again, and it's like, I like how selfish would it be for me to put my family through that shit again? Like, even if I don't care about myself, my own well-being, like I, I care about my family a lot. And like, I don't I wouldn't want to hurt my dad again, you know? And so like for that year when I got out of rehab after rehab, when I didn't want to be sober and I was still uh, using and whatnot, like that shit still fucking sat behind me in the entire like, the entire time. And I would just try to ignore it and, like, push past it and just, like, say, like, it's fine. Like, it, it, it's whatever. Like, I got it under control now. But, like, I couldn't run away from it forever. And that's eventually how I decided. I got to the point where I was like, okay, I, I do need to fix my shit. And I do need to actually get better. Because, like, if I say that I actually care about my family and I care about myself and, you know, I don't want to put, you know, my family through that again or my friends through that again, like, I should actually put effort into actually doing it. You know what I mean? But, like, main point is I appreciate rehab. I appreciate the rehab center that I went to, the recovery village. Like, I appreciate all the people that were there. I appreciate the techs that were there that, like, you know, believed in me. You know what I mean? And, uh, like, I don't know. Like, I, I remember going there. I hated it. And I was, I was pissed off. I had to go to rehab. But if I had not gone to rehab, I would have OD'd again for sure. And this time probably wouldn't have made it out. Uh... So, like, I'm thankful for it. it it's all great. <laughs> I guess I could say it's all great. I'm Because, like, I'm happy with who I am now, right? 
Like, I mean, it wasn't all rehab that got me here, but it was rehab that started me on the journey to get me here. And, like, I'm still improving every single day. I'm trying to be a better person every single day. But the person that I am now, if I compare it to the person that I was in 2019 when I was leaving rehab, 10 times better. Like, <laughs> like John now would look at John then and just say, buddy, tough it out. <laughs> like, stop being a little bitch. Tough it out. And don't worry. It'll get better. And, like, life isn't going to get easier or anything like that. But you will become better at dealing with the shit. And it's okay to be hurt and sad. But you don't got to fucking do drugs to fix it. I don't know. There's so much I would say to younger me. Like, there's so much fucking shit I'd say to younger me. But, hey, everything that has happened in the past is why I'm here today. And I'm happy with where I'm at. So I wouldn't take anything back at all. Man, good times. Good, good times. Uh, if I mean, like, if you ever struggle with addiction or anything like that, like, hey, rehab isn't the worst thing in the world. Go to a good one, actually. Like, some rehabs are actually fucking shitty. But, hey, rehab is pretty great. Even if you don't want to go to rehab, just talk to somebody about it. Like, talking to someone about it helps because it gets it out, you know? Because when you keep it inside and you're just, like, and you're the only one looking at it, you can't look at it from all angles. Like, your judgment is very skewed, mostly, mostly because of, like, your addiction. And so just talking... To someone about it. Someone that actually like isn't gonna judge you or like, you know, isn't gonna look look at you weird or hate on you for your struggles you're going with, just talk to them about it. And shit'll get easier. I promise. Well actually shit won't get easier, probably not, but you will get better at dealing with hard shit. I promise. <laughs> Anyways, if you like that episode, you like this podcast, you love what I'm doing around these parts. Give it a like, give it a rating, give it a share with your friends because good friends give friends great, actually good things or great things. If you think this podcast is great, that'd be great. <laughs> Anyways, if you want to follow me on social media and any that good jazz, it is at guy without a hat on Instagram and Twitter. We'll be here tomorrow, 8 a.m. of course, with another story because it is the weekend. Oh, Super Bowl's this weekend too. Who you got winning? Who you got winning? I want the Bucks to win. But I think the Chiefs are going to win. I don't even like Tom Brady. But, like, I just want him to, like, you know, win because of Belichick. It's like a slap in the face. To it's just, like, the pettiest shit. If you leave a team and then win your first year out, like, that's that's some swaggy shit. But Patrick Mahomes is also pretty cool. I don't know. I want the Bucks to win. Chiefs are probably going to fucking win. Either way, I'll see you tomorrow. Same time. Same place. Have a wonderful day. See you later.